0: Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Genzel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is a podcast series in which I talk to the people who made some of my favorite movies. Today's guest is director Carl Schulz, and our conversation revolves around his work on the TV series The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, or The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, as it's later been retitled. This lavishly produced early 90s show, a spin-off of the popular Indiana Jones movies, follows the adventures of Indy as a boy, played by Corey Carrier, and as a young man, played by Jean-Patrick Flannery, encountering numerous famous historical figures and events. Carl directed several episodes of the show, including the first few episodes, which has the protagonist meeting contemporaries like Pancho Villa, Winston Churchill, and Theodore Roosevelt, and learning about the Mexican Revolution and the suffragette movement, among others. He also made the famous Mystery of the Blues two-part episode set in Chicago, where Indy meets jazz musician Sidney Boucher and gangster Al Capone. Furthermore, Carl directed many of the bookends of the show, segments with a 93-year-old indie, played by George Hall, reminiscing about his earlier adventures. Carl Schulz was born in Budapest, but left Hungary in the 1950s and moved to Australia, where he established himself as a versatile storyteller. He directed several TV productions, including the miniseries Ride on Stranger from 1979, based on the novel by Kylie Tennant, set in the 1930s, and the miniseries Lefka's Man from 1981, based on a book by Hammond Innes. Carl also directed several notable theatrical features, including the 1983 drama Careful He Might Hear You, the quiet story of a young kid caught in a custody battle between his two aunts, which won eight Australian Film Institute Awards, also, the David Williamson adaptation Traveling North from 1987, the deeply human story of an old curmudgeon who tries to enjoy his retirement days without going through the pains of addressing his health problems. And Carl's American debut, The Seventh Sign from 1988, an apocalyptic horror movie starring Demi Moore and Michael Bean. In our conversation, Carl recalls the freedom he enjoyed as a director on Young Indiana Jones and his impressions of the show's writer's room. He also discusses his thoughts on the old indie bookend segments and his general approach as a filmmaker to the young indie stories. The interview was conducted in connection with our German-language podcast, Lichtspielplatz. So if you speak German, please visit Lichtspielplatz.at and check out episode number 67, which features an in-depth look at the Young Indiana Jones TV series. Also, make sure to listen to my interview with actor Jean-Patrick Flannery here on Talking Pictures. If you enjoy my conversation with Carl Schultz, please visit TalkingPicturesPodcast.com to check out more interviews and follow us on Facebook and Twitter or X as it's called now. So without any further ado, here is Carl Schultz discussing how he came on board of Young Indiana Jones.
1: Uh, Well, it was to do with uh, uh, Rick McCallum. Rick McCallum and I were going to do a film um, a couple of years before. um, with Dennis Potter had written the screenplay and, we were on the way, we were already doing some casting, but the financing never came together. Mm-hmm. So he fell apart. But I got to know Rick McCallum quite well. Um, and um, so when I was going to do another Hollywood film, uh, which again got cancelled, and I was on my way to, uh, to, to uh, Los Angeles, um, but I was in England, uh, when I got a phone call to say uh, the, the film has been put back so um, uh, I was stuck in, in England, uh, but then I got a phone call from Rick saying, I heard that you, uh, your film was canceled. Why don't you come and work with me on, on the uh, Young Indiana Jones series? So I said, well, yes, that's, yeah, that'd be quite nice. Um, and that's how it started. So it's because of Rick's con- you know, the connection with Rick that um, I came to it, yeah.
0: It must have been a relief at that point, right? To um, to lose one project and get the, the, the next one, <laughs> right? It was because,
1: uh, as I say, because of the cancellation of that film, uh, you know, I was um, stuck in England, and uh, you know, something had to something had to be done, and it was very fortunate, and uh, so I came up to London, um, and I met with uh, uh, George. Um, And um, it was fine. So (laughs) that was me for the next four years, you know, Mm -hmm. just about. Yeah.
0: How familiar were you at this point with the world of Indiana Jones?
1: Well, you know, obviously I've seen the film and uh, but that's all. Uh, I think, you know, by then I had a couple of Australian films that had had some good reviews and uh, got very good attention. And because I got, my, got to know Rick quite well, you know, it was a, a, an introduction to George and, of course, he and I got on very well as well. Um, but uh, it's not until you start to uh, work together that you know whether he's going to be okay or not, you know. Um, yeah, fortunately, uh, it was. He was at the very beginning of the Young Indiana Jones series when he was just... Uh, uh, setting it up you know ha- uh, having writers uh, finding directors and so on uh, so i was right at the
0: beginning of it
1: yeah
0: so how involved were you with the development of the series
1: uh, yeah well as i say, he was at the stage when they were still having uh script sessions that george was leading in uh, uh in california at um Uh, At the ranch. And um, I went there for a couple of weeks, sat with the writers while they were working. And um, yeah, um, it was very, very interesting because uh, it was a kind of collaborative uh, way of working, you know, all the writers were there. But uh, George, by then, had a great big, uh, it wasn't large in numbers, but uh, he had a team of people who were doing research into that period of time, you know, from the uh, turn of the century, 1900 to uh, 1920, 22, uh, because he had this interest in um, um, doing the series, uh, because he had um, some education foundation. And mm-hmm. his intention was to do something that would uh, educate, the, particularly the American audience, younger audience, in world history, uh, that's it, it's his passion, so, uh, yeah, um, are you familiar with how they, uh, because you probably had heard this already, you in, in know, it's been uh, documented, I think, about how the writers work together, and... Um,
0: no, actually, that would have been one of my questions regarding the writers' room, um, so I mean, there were a lot of different writers on the show and some of them um, were quite famous or became quite famous like P- Frank Darabond. Um, yes, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, Frank was, um, uh, at that time he hadn't, well, you know, very soon after that, he did the uh, Shaw, Shawshank Redemption, etc. cetera. Um, but at that time, um, well, some of the writers were already well known. Most of them were British, uh, English. Um, Again, because Rick's experience had been in London, working in in, uh, British television, but um, it was conducted by George. You know, he had an outline of the stories that he wanted to do, uh, and then they would discuss it. um, And each day they would do an episode uh, going through it quite uh, quite, uh, a lot of detail. And, a lot of various inputs coming from the various writers, and then the uh, next day they would come back to it again, um, and this time they would make a, a very uh, detailed account of what you know the, of what the episode was to be, um, and this went on for um, for about three weeks. At the end of which, uh, the writers were asked to say which episodes they would like to do, which was, um, and um, if they couldn't make a choice, then George would allocate that episode to them. So each one of them had, I think, two episodes to do, and they were sent away for about a month, and then they came back, and um, again, it would be revised and uh, looked at, and, uh, but it was very important that the episodes were uh, very detailed and completely finished because uh, he was um, to be shot in various places all around the world. Um, he was uh, scented from London. The uh, main uh, set of main production office was in London. And the crew was largely uh, British. Uh, George is very meticulous and, you know, about detail. So the scripts that we received were a, a true blueprint. You know, there was very little you know, they, they, they were good, they were, obviously, they, they worked, you know, they were professional. Um, yeah, because the Shenjio was quite tight, the uh, time that we had to, to do it and locations to go to, yeah.
0: So during that process, uh, what were the elements that were important to you to uh, bring to the series or to explore in the series?
1: Well, uh, um, on my first visit there, it was really just to observe. Uh, because the writers were the the, uh, the main contributors. So I sat in uh, on these early discussions just to be familiar with it, you know, to be more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. There were two directors at that time that were uh, assigned to the series. Uh, the other guy was Jim O'Brien. Um, he did uh, a couple of uh, uh, quite successful British television series before. and he and I, both we both attended these meetings, and then we did the first few episodes. Uh, Jim started um, the uh, Egyptian episode, and I did the uh, the love story episode in Oxford with eighteen-year-old uh, uh, Indy, twenty-year-old Indy. Uh, so uh, you know, my, my involvement was really, as I say, that one. Just have my you know observe and, and be part mm-hmm. of it. Uh, I didn't actually have any great input into it other than um, talk to the writers. You know, we we were at uh, Skywalker Ranch for a couple of weeks. Uh, I was there for a couple of weeks. And uh, so you got to know them. And uh, well, these are things that you talk about uh, which become part of the, the production somehow, you know, your attitude to the storytelling and it was fascinating it was very interesting
0: were you involved with the casting of the three uh, indie actors because john mentioned that you were there during uh, one of the tests cre- uh, yeah, the, yes the screen uh, tests well, that you did
1: we, we were at that time uh, doing tests screen tests for the uh, for the young indie characters and of course for the first couple of episodes that i did Again, you know, I was involved in the casting like uh, Elizabeth Hurley, who was uh, who played uh, the, the love interest in the London episode. Um, but then once we started into the series, um, uh, there was very little time to do casting. So the casting was done in London and in uh, Los Angeles by casting agents, uh, directors who, who would record um uh, uh, to take auditions, uh, and then the tapes would be sent to us. Um, it was it all had to be approved by George, of course. All, all the characters, that all the main characters. Um, yes, I met with Tom Courtney in London before I, you know, we went on location. So, yes, I was involved with it when I could be involved with it. Yes, mm-hmm. once I was shooting, you know, it was like. Uh, there was very little time to, to do. And of course, the actors who came on to set because, of, again, because of the uh, quite thorough um, process that uh, goes through auditions, and the final approval by George, uh, the, the actors that turned up on set were, you know, fine. They, they, they knew what they had to do. Um, and it was um, a, a quite a very smooth operation. And of course, Rick McCallum is a, a great uh, pro- a producer in uh, uh, in the logistics of how things are to be.
0: Now, throughout the series, I mean, there were many different directors involved, and many of the episodes really bear the the, the stylistic um, handwriting of, of those directors. So, I was curious how much freedom you had in setting up the episodes that you directed and um, and, and really shaping the style of that series.
1: Yes, well, I knew what had to be done because, you know, uh, it was defined, Indiana Jones. So you, you knew that you had to tell the story in, in, in that uh, thing. You know, that was the a uh, thing. That, that was to be the, you know, the Indiana Jones that was to come later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you knew that that's what you were aiming towards. Uh, in in terms of uh, style and storytelling. So, um, and I understood that, and it was defined quite well. So, you you know, your interpretation of it is, you know, mine or or, or Billy August or Mark Newell or whoever is doing it, um, they bring their own um, experience to it. But uh, I think mostly um, the framework is Indiana Jones. Uh, and um, storytelling that is uh, active and you know fast moving mostly, although uh, you know there's the education aspect that George was trying to do, which was which was a new element to to it, uh, and that was fine. But yes, I mean I, I had total freedom. I had no problem with it at all. There was no interference. George would come on set sometimes, you know, for a few days and we would chat and talk about things, but uh, no, he was very happy with what I was doing. And and, yeah, Um, I think one of the things that, uh, I mean, I did several episodes and so did Simon Windsor. And of course we both came from Australia. And I think we both worked in Australian television and feature films where we had a great amount of freedom. Uh, unlike Hollywood, where <clears throat> directors usually have to work with the studios and, and there are so many cooks, you know, uh, that you have to deal with. Uh, but because of that, I think that that's why both Simon and I uh, uh, were kept on the series, because we we knew how to deliver this. Yeah, I think so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's certainly unusual for a TV series to um give the director so much freedom that you would really have episodes that, um, I mean, if you look at the Nicholas Brogue episode, for example, that's a completely different tone than the episodes that you directed or the episode that Dick Maas, for example, directed the Dracula episode that followed. Um, Very unusual. Yes.
1: Well, um, one of the things that um, George said to me once, he paid me a great compliment. He said, uh, you know, because he was back in, uh, San Francisco, back at the, the ranch, uh, and we would send uh, dailies back to him, and um, he would look at it, and we wouldn't see it until two or three days later. You know, uh, but he was uh, he would get them before we would, and he said, uh, you know, uh, getting your dailies is, is is a bit like Christmas. Uh, you get everything you asked for, and then you get an extra little package mm. as a surprise. <laughs> And because uh, this is in terms of freedom, you see, because I I would make up little little scenes, uh, for instance, with the, with the kids, with the with the Roosevelt episode, you know, we mm-hmm. in Africa, uh, I was working with uh, with the two kids, and we would, you know, uh, there would be things that they would do which I would, you know, in, incorporate into the film like. Uh, uh, this one, which um, they're trying to communicate, and, and uh, Masai mm-hmm. was trying to tell Indy how to use this stick to clean his teeth,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And he and Indi is saying this is toothbrush, so it's all kind of made up, you know. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, and the Masai um, kid is trying to teach you how to say it in in Masai, so. That kind of you know I had that kind of freedom where I could just make you know and shoot it and send it and George would you know like it and put it in. Um, the other thing was um, with the with the um, love story episode, uh, Indy speaking all these several languages you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and they had a little uh, competition about you know. Um, you don't speak this language or that, in the, <laughs> and um, uh, I even added an extra line uh, about, uh, but you don't speak Hungarian, you know. Uh, and of course, he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know that wasn't in the script, but I put it in. And, and again, you know, it was a laugh, you know, and, uh, and it's in there. Uh, so that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that sounds like a really great way to work to be able to. Um, to add little things and add your little touches and um, explore the, the, the scenes a little bit more. Well, it was uh,
1: exciting for me too, because I knew that once you know that you're in a group of uh, people that appreciate what you do, mm-hmm. um, it is so easy. You know? I, I mean, that was the, it, well, apart from having to be on location and away from my family, but it, you know, sometimes they would come and stay with me for uh, a few weeks in the middle
0: of shoot. Now, the the, the series, I think, in terms of the production values, just um, was a very elaborate uh, production, especially for that time when TV was still often just a one or two set kind of affair. And um, the indie series was very much, it looked like a movie, essentially. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the... um, just the production and and how that differed from other TV experiences at that time?
1: Well, yes, uh, again, because, um, well, it it was the beginning of the kind of post-production manipulation that happens now. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, much of that was experimental. uh, But again, we had facilities and and George was very interested in developing um, those facilities. Like there were scenes where, a dozen, half a dozen horsemen become faulty because you could multiply it. But it was very much the beginning and, and you know, the an experimental stage. I was involved in it in the way that I knew when there were scenes that, that had to be shot like that, you, know, you would storyboard it and make sure that, that those post-production things could happen. In some, you know, uh, quite a lot was done obviously in, in post-production. Um, we even borrowed scenes from other, other movies sometimes, where, you know, and incorporated into uh, the body of the film.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Once you finished uh, your episode, I'd go to, uh, to the editors, uh, which were, you know, George's office was upstairs, the editors were downstairs, so he was like right there, um, and, and go and work with the editors. Uh, by the time you got there, they would have assembled the episode, and then you would work through and, and cut the film. George would pop, pop in every now and then, and would uh, discuss some things, you know. Um, but it was very straightforward. Uh, again, you know, the, the editors were, understood uh, his way of working, and uh, um, the facilities were very, very good, very up-to-date at that time. But it was,
0: as I say, it was the beginning of, of
1: that kind of uh, well, It very mm-hmm. mental,
0: largely, at that point. You also directed um, a lot of the bookends um, of the series, these segments with the old yes. Indiana Jones who's telling the stories of his youth. So how come you directed so many of those bookends? And what was your approach in, in directing those? Well, you
1: see, uh, OK, once again, that was an afterthought. Uh, it, it happened about a year after we finished the series. Um, mm-hmm. And um, we were based in uh, North Carolina. There was it, yes. And, and uh, it was George's idea. And he, he wanted to have the the three ages. Um, I don't think it was successful. I don't think it ever was quite, you know, what it, what it should have been, what, mm-hmm. what he thought it would be. And I think later he recut. Well, he, I know he recut, uh, and he had combined some of the episodes together without the bookends. Um, I, I, I shot most of them. I'm trying to think back. It was quite a long time ago, now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um And I had a, a, an Australian cameraman that, uh, because I we couldn't get um, Tattersall for the for the bookends, so I had an Australian cameraman that I worked with. Came over and we we shot uh, all the bookends. It was okay, but somehow I it, it never felt all that comfortable mm. while I
0: was doing it. And why is that?
1: You know, because it it, it was I don't know. I I, I just couldn't get into uh, the old Indy's head. You know why mm. he's uh, reminiscing and and you know. It was kind of unnecessary, I
0: thought. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's interesting because obviously, yeah, all those scenes have been deleted in the um, in, in the version that we have nowadays. And the segment that's missing in in a way, or the effect that's missing in a way, is that I mean, Indy meets all of those famous people, and he is basically at every important historical occasion in that <laughs> time frame. Um, and that slightly makes more sense if it's an old guy telling stories about himself um yeah that's,
1: well, that's what it is yes yes that, yeah. that's you know, I, I think leave it alone you know Look, you've done it you've done it you know <laughs> it's like me talking about it now you know it's like you know it was done it was great then just forget about talking about it you know? just, mm-hmm. and of course you know he had the makeup and uh I don't know, it, it, it never felt good, It never felt right to me.
0: What do you remember about George Hall, the actor who played the- Oh, he was a nice man, he was, he was Canadian.
1: Yeah, it was easy to work with. He knew his lines, you know, um, because they were so brief, you know, they were just usually just one scene, like I in a restaurant, you know, over. He uh, was very simply, you know, you could shoot it in the half a day, you know, mm. straightforward. Uh, I think we had just, one day for each uh, each bookend. To to uh, some of them were a bit more complicated, uh, but uh, it was very you know, easy. But and as I say, it was shot in uh, North Carolina, in Wilmington.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, the, the 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 interesting thing was that um, you know, historically, the indie, Indiana Jones meets all these famous people you know like the chicago in chicago during the uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, sydney bichet and uh, i loved shooting that episode the the uh, uh, jazz and uh, th- those musicians um, i mean i had um, jeffrey wright as the mm-hmm. uh, bichet character you know but again he he became quite Famous after, you know, late, I mean, now he's very hard to the Well, at that time, he was just an uh, unknown character. Uh, but uh, I, I like working with him. But the local musicians, the musicians, all the other band players were local people. They were mm-hmm. Wilmington uh, jazz musicians. They, they were they were work, uh, laborers in the day and musicians at night. Um, mm-hmm. They were a wonderful bunch. You know, and again, you see some of that was improvised, you know, some of the dialogue, and, and, and you could uh, let them behave you know, like a bunch of black musicians, you know, great. And um, it was kind of fortuitous that so many interesting people were in Chicago at that time. You know, yeah. Hemingway, and, and uh, the, of course, it, it, it was also the uh, gang, the gangs and the prohibition and uh, Louis Armstrong was there. Uh, I love shooting those those jazz episodes,
0: uh, the, the, the scenes. Yeah, it, it's one of my favorite episodes, actually, because I'm a huge jazz fan. And so um, just seeing the musicians on stage and those scenes where Boucher kind of teaches India how to play the saxophone and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, it was just very very just fun to watch and oh, yeah, uh, and,
1: and you know the, the composer you know uh, again ch- choosing the music for it was very interesting because again you know i i could do a bit of research into it and uh, the composer uh, joel mcneely uh, did a great job and and we had great fun choosing some of the songs you know the the, the sings the song the, the young woman who sings Mm -hmm. The church scene, you know, when they sing in the the church choir, because with with music, some of it has to be, of course, prayer recorded, so I have the music there at the time of shooting the scene. But we did it very efficiently. I mean, We didn't have any delays or any problems with it. Uh, And when I look at it now, I mean, I haven't looked at it now for a long time, but I'm surprised how much work there is, you know, how much and how well it comes together. And I wonder how how, how did they do it, you know, <laughs> in, in such a short time. And, and, and the locations too. You know, we would I, I love to shoot um in real locations rather than on, on a film set. And some of those places, you know, we would find places, you know, like that the, the jazz episode was shot in, in some kind of a cave. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it was it. The kitchen, uh, you know, down in the basement, was like a cave, and I thought, oh, this is fabulous! You know, we we put the put the jazz episode in here, you know, but the production designers were very good. Um, He had a a very very good uh, British English, Gavin, production designer.
0: Were you able to select the episodes that you? That you shot was that from from all the scripts that were there were you able to select um the ones that you say, okay this is something i'm interested in this is something i'd like to do no, no, you?
1: He, was, no he was just offered you know uh, he, he was like rick uh, would call and say you know are you are you available for to, to do you know whatever uh, and you've got to go to spain or Almeria. you know so no uh, I, I didn't have a choice my, uh, but i was happy to do whatever they offered
0: I mean, it's quite a range when you look at all the episodes that you've done, um, just in terms of not just the settings, but just the tone of the story. I mean, the jazz episode is completely different from the Peacock's Eye episode, for example, which is much more of an adventure type story.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I as a filmmaker, I'm interested in all kinds of things, but mostly, you know, my work before was to do with, character, you know, all the stories that I did in the past, or the ones that launched me onto the international scene was um because it was about people, about you know, a story about a person, a child, or you know uh, um, but then I'm also interested in storytelling in terms of keeping the audience interested. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm rather impatient in that I have to get to the next uh, i don't want to linger on things
0: mm-hmm. uh, john told me that um you know with all the directors that he's worked with um he admired your storytelling abilities the most um just the way you set up the the, the stories and told the, the stories of the characters
1: well look it, it's really very straightforward because i i, I think some people overcomplicated, complicated you know uh, and, and i've seen directors in the past who we just overcomplicate, you know, because they want to get something, because they want to get your their way, you know, or whatever they have in their head. And I don't think I'm. I'm yes, I, I do want to get what I what I have in my mind, but it doesn't mean that I'm having my eyes and ears open to, you know, see what, what what's going to work here. So, um, in that sense, um, it was a funny thing too. Um, when we were doing these, uh, you know, we've done several episodes. This crew had worked with, you know, uh, Mark Newell, Terry Jones, Nick Rogue, you know, all of them. And they, uh, Rick, Rick was a funny guy. He, he used to kind of ask the crew for comments. And one of them was, can you give marks for uh, the directors that you worked with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> And, and, and um, he, he told me that, that uh, the crew said, uh, one of the questions was, who achieves most in a day? And, and I came well on the top. <laughs> Simon <laughs> Windsor, you see, again, because, because we came out of that Australian school of, you know, unfrightened of anything. You know, it was like we didn't need to worry about anything other than just tell the story. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't concerned about, uh, and I think uh, that's that's what Australian filmmaking at that time, you know, in the seventies uh, and eighties was. It was beginning. Uh, Australian film was just beginning. Well, not, well, yes. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that's the the, the the root of it. Uh, where I come from, uh, but interestingly, you know, uh, Frank Barabon. Terribont. of course he's Hungarian
0: too you see. Oh really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, because because
1: when we were at, at Skywalker we, we would have, uh, well he, he went to America when he was quite young, he went to school in America, but uh, his parents were, so.
0: It's interesting, the series has such an international mix, not yeah. just in terms yeah. of the stories and locations, but also the people who were yeah. involved. Yeah. yeah. And when you're t- talking about the Australian film industry, I was just thinking of something David Eggby told me, I did an interview with him um, a while ago, and he said, well, Australian cinematographers are the best cinematographers because they're so used to um, achieving so much with so little. And I kind of have a feeling that you could apply that not just to cinematographers, but um, the, the general film industry in Australia.
1: Well, okay, so quite interestingly, Couple of uh, cinematographers, well, three: John Seal and uh, Dean Samler. I worked with in Australia, and well, we all came out of that that filmmaking experience. Uh, we both, we, we all of us worked for the ABC, which was the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and, and I could see these guys then; you know, we were young people then, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, largely because of the success of Mad Max for Dean Semler and Careful He Might Hear You um, for um, John Seale. They were launched onto the international scene Mm -hmm. and they were brilliant. I mean, I I worked both with Dean Semler and we loved, I did two long television series with Dean, um, uh, with George Miller, the Mad Max people. And interestingly enough, this is a little side issue with George Miller, after he did Mad Max, they made a lot of money and then he wanted to, with his partner producer, uh, wanted to do uh, Australian programs and one was the dismissal, which was the dismissal of the Australian government and mm-hmm. the other one was Bodyline, which was the cricketing series. I don't know if you know about this. And both those series we did in a collaborative kind of way where the writers would be together, the directors would be there, we would discuss it. And it was a very similar way of working to what George does, does in, in, in uh, you know, with us with the Young Indy. So I was very familiar with that. So you mm-hmm. know, being involved from the conception of something at the very beginnings of it gives you a great sense of Security that you you know where you
0: are.
1: Mm. I mean that series too. You know I, we worked with Phil Noise uh, was part of that in George Miller. You know I, we were doing episodes uh, of that series. Again, I did most of them
0: I was also wondering because um, I mean I've, I've seen uh, several of your other films. Um, how much some of them played into what you were doing in uh, on Young Indiana Jones. For example, I mean, you worked with Corey Carrier who played the young kid. And, you know, as they always say, never work with kids, never work with animals. You had both in <laughs> that segment. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, I, I, I know you've worked with child actors before and, and um, to, to, to great results with um, Blue Finn and Careful He Might Hear You. So um, I was wondering how that experience, for example, played into Young Indiana Jones
1: well yeah the, the, have you seen careful he might hear you mm-hmm. yeah okay well that that child you know in casting uh, that little boy uh, i think he was about nine ten at that time eight something like that, mm-hmm. very very young but he was highly intelligent and so it wasn't that he was able to act he mm-hmm. was that that he, I could talk to him. And, and he understood with the uh, young Indiana Jones character. Unfortunately, I think, well, he was okay, but mm-hmm. only just okay, I think, because he was being trained by his parents, his father in particular, in between. He would, you know, the night before they would rehearse, mm-hmm. and he would come and set with all these preconceived you know, sillinesses that that were kind of his parents' idea of what he should be doing. And it was impossible to undo it. <laughs> you know, so it was okay, you know, but it's not what I would have chosen, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I had them in the uh, Kenya episode with the Maasai boy, I had him... Away from it. well, his parents were still there somewhere, but I I, I could manage that because i were making scenes up because he was a performer, you know. And I don't like perform. Well, I don't. That's not how I would cast. You see. Mm-hmm. So the the idea is to to find a child who's just um, that you think he understands and you can communicate with. It's less about performing and, and you know putting on and that's what Corey was doing, you know, he would trot out and, and mm. you know do certain things that he was taught by his parents to do, you know. And they were cute, but I don't need cute. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, but with any kind of casting, you know, once once you have a cast, once you have an actor, you're ability to move it this way or that way as a director is limited and, and you shouldn't want to push him. you know, you can't, you know. so if you have a good cast, it's great, you don't have to do very much at all, if you don't have a good cast then you have to fiddle and you know, shoot around it and do it in editing and so on.
0: Did you do a, a lot of rehearsing? Did you do, um, I don't know, a lot of preparation work with the actors in, in terms of their in, characters? In the early episodes,
1: yes, like, for instance, with, with uh, Sean and, and Elizabeth Hurley, you know, I had time because we were just setting up and, and I had a couple of weeks. Um, and also trying to find out just exactly where they are, you know, the, the first few episodes, first mm-hmm. with Sean, Um, And uh, you have to give it time to, you know, uh, to find themselves. Uh, But then once we were in production, episode after episode, there was very little time for rehearsal. I will always have a a read-through or have the... Sometimes, instead of rehearsing the actors, it's better just to have the actor talk to you for, you know, a couple of hours. And they can, you know, you talk to them that way. Because I like the spontaneity of them just coming together. And, and I want to shoot the first, the very first exchanges, rather than, you know, mm-hmm. labour in, in the rehearsals. So, yeah, I mean, some things need rehearsals, but uh, we didn't have much time to rehearse that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You could virtually rehearse on the set, you know, or, or and, and even that, I, if the camera was ready, I would just shoot the rehearsal. And I always shoot a master shot. And, and again, George said, no, that's that, that's great because uh, whatever goes wrong, at least you can always come back to that, you know? It doesn't matter what happens. You just shoot the master <laughs> and then you go and shoot all the other bits um, and to, you know, to fix it.
0: Uh, one of the actors also who was in, in uh, s- several of the episodes that you shot was, um... Ronnie Couture, who played Rémy, the uh, <laughs> yes. best friend of, of Indiana Jones. What do you remember about him?
1: Well, he was, uh, unfortunately, he was a very big man. And he found it very difficult to do some of the things, you know. Oh, he was lovely. He was a lovely guy, so pleasant. He, he he was fine. He 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 practiced his lines, made sure that he could say them without any problem. But because he, you know, his language was French and Belgian, he would get the script and rehearse it himself by himself in the bathroom for days before, and then he would come out with it, and it would be always the same. You know, if you did fifteen takes, it would be exactly the same, (laughs) which was great. It was fine, Uh, but because of his size, Paul uh, Remy, he's he 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 found it difficult because some of it, uh, I was shooting in. uh, Prague, uh, one of the, uh, you know, the last day of the war, and there were these trenches and bomb craters and he had to run. And of course, because you need coverage, you know, mm-hmm. in those scenes you have to do it several times because you, get, you know, haven't got enough cameras to cover things. So he was absolutely knackered, you know, poor man. Uh, and then i remember going to dinner with him and i said well how are you how are you you feeling and he said well yes and uh, then he said to me in french that uh, at all this time my mother thinks that i'm having fun (laughs) there's
0: a great development between india and remy at the end of the peacock's eye where remy is really you know, he wants to go on looking for the diamond, and um, Indy sort of realizes that it's not what he's what he wants to spend his life doing. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of tension be- between the characters, which is interesting because the, throughout the entire series, the two of them are just, you know, always best friends, and uh, Remy is a sidekick, and yeah. um, here we have just a little bit more, more meat to their relationship. I think.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's a very nice scene, but I remember that. I shot it uh, at sunset. Uh, again, it, it's kind of one take, you know. Well, I think we might have a couple of takes because the close-ups would have to be, you know. Uh, but it—it's the first time, as you say, that Indy says. I think also, you know, uh, that episode had Tom Courtney, the um, anthropologist. Mm-hmm. Is that the one? Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a. I, yes. I don't remember the name of the character and but yeah
1: when he decides that he's not going to chase after dream, you know these things that mm-hmm. life is about but it's a very nice scene it's just a, quite an emotional scene mm-hmm. uh, and you uh, shot it at the end of the day it's you see some of those things uh, come together when you when you push for time because like that was it you know um, Five minutes later, the life is gone, it's you know, you can't do it anymore. So you get but you get the actors into a place where they are able to connect like that, you know.
0: Yeah, those are some of my favorite moments, just the moments between characters, the emotional moments or the relationship moments. I'm always looking for those and just those, those little details. I think those they really yeah, yeah. make a story if it's a regardless of whether it's an adventure yeah. story or a drama or a political thriller. But um, I mean, it's always about the relationships between the characters, I think. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there are not many moments like that, unfortunately, because, you know, because of the uh, star, you know, the, the Indiana Jones, it's kind of, you know mm-hmm. Keep going as the story has to be told. Um, but yes, um, and you always look for those things, and sometimes they're hard to find, and sometimes you have to invent them, you know, like, or, or, or do it without trying and communicate that idea without having a particular scene, so that you observe the characters and, and try and read their minds or what, or, or what you think is important.
0: Now you also worked um, in one occasion with the original Indiana Jones, the Chicago episode well, where you uh, did the bookend with Harrison Ford, right?
1: No, no I didn't.
0: No. Well, <laughs> no, no, Yes,
1: he's in that episode. But what happened uh, was that that episode, well, I'm, I'm shooting, I'm in uh, North Carolina, and he's, he's shooting another film. Somewhere in Colorado, mm-hmm. and and George talks him into come and do it. Do it. So he comes off the set for one day, and George takes a second unit to, uh, and 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 they shoot that. Okay, but it's the opening scene of the episode. <laughs> so yeah, George is shooting second unit for me. <laughs> I,
0: I see. But, and
1: there is a yeah. Um, is some silly thing somebody put on on international movie database that uh, I'm the only one who ever worked with, other than
0: yeah, <laughs> other than Steven Spielberg. Uh, I don't know what there, but you know, no. But, yeah. <laughs> that would even make you the only person in the world who have worked with all. All the actors who played Indiana Jones, yes. well, except for River Phoenix, who, who was the young Indy in the in the third movie, but other than that, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's
1: crazy how these things come about, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> like like Sean, you know, he, he, he loved Indiana Jones movies, and then next next thing he's supposed to be the young Indy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: he he told me the. Um, the auditions were very easy for him because he never thought that he stood a chance to actually get the part. So it was just he he went to the auditions and said, yeah, fine, I'll do this. And that's because he was never nervous.
1: (laughs) Well, I remember watching maybe uh, six or seven finalists and Mm -hmm. he stood out as being by far the best of, 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 of the choices. And of course, he really threw himself into it because he, he became very agile and he was very agile and he had to learn how to ride a horse and he did it brilliantly and you know he did acrobatics and all sorts it was, it was very good
0: he told me he even played the saxophone in the in the jazz episode
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs> a little bit yes yeah
0: no that was great so, how much did you follow the um, the reception of the series, the reviews, and everything?
1: Well, not really, um, because I wasn't in America at the time. So, uh, and, and they were shown here in England and elsewhere, um, but I, w- I wasn't following it uh, really. Um, and I know that uh, you know George had some. You know problems well, with with the distribut- with, with the distribution of it, but I think he knew that uh, this was not going to be a uh, uh, as, as uh, uh, popular as uh, well. But I think he was happy with the series. I mean, he was he spent a lot of time on it, mm-hmm. and he keeps on looking at it, even you know uh, trying to make it better, and, and he can see. Uh, what might have been done better, differently. But look, it was a, it was a good attempt.
0: Were there any episodes that were um, being discussed that you might have directed, but that never came together?
1: N- no. Uh, well, those discussions would have been between Rick and, and him and the writers. So mm. once I was shooting, you know, I would shoot and then go and edit. And be there for the mix. Uh, But I wasn't part of that anymore. Mm. I'm a hired hand. (laughs) I'm a hired gun. I go and shoot. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've been out of it now. I'm retired. And of course, this was done 30 plus years ago now, Mm. or 30 years ago. So uh, my memory is not that good about some of the things. But um, you know, I'm I'm happy with it, um, um, and uh, but the only thing is that because I spent so much time on it that uh, I kind of neglected certain other aspects of my career.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, but it was good, uh, and um,
0: yeah. I mean, you did do a couple of movies afterwards, but then I think around yeah. the year 2000, you retired. right?
1: I was right? out of it and not there to follow it, but it's okay, it's fine. I, um, I, I wasn't terribly ambitious about those things.
0: Mm, I see. It's quite unusual for a director, I must say. <laughs>
1: um, well, I think we are what we are. We are, you know, and and uh, it's very nice to uh, to succeed in things or to do things. I I love doing it, you know. I love being part of it, and it, it's very hard to stop uh, not to do it because then, you know, your whole life is you know different. You know? Um, but. Um, as far as um, um, ambition, I, I my ambition was just to make something good. You know? mm. And I did that and, and I'm <laughs> satisfied with that. I wish I
0: had more, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah. Did you miss it from time to time directing?
1: Yeah, well, you see, I tried to make uh, some things um, even just three, four years ago. I mean, now I'm 83, 84, you know, very soon. So um, I think uh, it, it would not be. But the thing is, um, well, things have changed and style of storytelling has changed. Mm. But certain things are always the same. You know, the human stories, it, that's, uh, and I know that I could do that. Um, but um, uh, audience uh, tastes change, and uh, but I, I I watch some certain things that are very very good on television. You know, some of the European series are very good, um, and uh, yeah, I admire, it, but, you know, how, how how good some of them are. How, so, I, yeah, I miss it, but uh, uh, I don't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning at least. <laughs> <laughs>